more than likely in all of us, there's something we need to surrender that we've just been holding on to. And as children of God, we just want and should want to give it all to Him. God, say, take it. Just take it from me. Show me what I need to learn. of where you're at, God's really going to challenge you in a few moments. Surrender's hard. And in my Christian life, I'm learning safety and security is found in surrender. When I surrender my job, when I surrender my future, when I surrender my relationships to Him, that's where safety and comfort is truly found. I'm going to ask Chad just to lead us into that worship chorus. And I'm just going to ask this. Would you make this your prayer? If you're having trouble with surrender in a particular area this morning, would you ask God, God, would you help me? Would you speak to me this morning? Would you speak into my life? Father, we thank you for today. And we thank you that we're standing before you in worship. And we confess and we admit surrender is hard to every one of us in this place. Would we be able, to the very best of our ability, to make this our prayer? And we ask that you speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. And I surrender
Thank you for that time of worship. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. We have been in this series and we've been looking at how God rebuilds a life and then what happens when the life is rebuilt, that it never just stays private, that it affects corporately, it affects a church, it can affect a home, it can affect a community. And as you're turning there in Nehemiah chapter 9, let me just kind of remind you that we're in the middle of providing backpacks for Span Elementary. We're going to provide 325 backpacks to all the students at Span Elementary so that every kid has a backpack. Uh, it costs $25 to, to sponsor a child. If you would like to provide uh, backpacks for a child at Span Elementary, you can do it several ways. You can go to the, worship, uh, the Welcome Center, and you can. Uh, there's a desk there. They'll take care of it there. You can designate it on your giving. You can put it in the, the deposit boxes, however you want to do it. Uh, but it's our goal again this year. This will be our third year. Uh, that we provided backpacks for all the kids at Span Elementary. Well, okay, we're in this series in Nehemiah chapter, uh, in the series in Nehemiah. Today we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 9, and, and, and I'm just going to warn you. Uh, God's about ready to get very, very close to you. I mean, this, this is a difficult set of passages that we're going to look at and it's, it, it is going to challenge you, uh, whether you're, whether, where, wherever you are in your spiritual life. Because all of us need to continue to grow and to deepen in Him. And so we're going to look at this issue of worship, but it's just a, 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 a deeper way than what we did last week. And, and so here's what has to happen in worship. Two things have to happen if you're going to worship God rightly or in the right way. You have to understand who you are. I mean, you have to understand who God is, and then you have to understand who you are. First, to rightly worship God, you have to have a right view of who he is. To know that he's a good and a forgiving and a merciful God and not a judgmental, angry God that is trying to rain on your parade and make your life difficult. And then you also have to understand who you are. So those two components have to happen so that we understand and we know who God is. You see, the problem with worship a lot of times in the culture in which we live, we don't know who God is. We don't have a right view of who God is. We carry baggage into that event. And as a result of that, it's difficult to, for us to worship God when we don't have a correct or we don't have a right view of, of who he is. See, we live in a time and culture that we like to define who God is. And what happens is we create God in our image instead of real, realizing that we are created in his image. So our culture, even contemporary Christianity, has, has this view of God that, man, God's happy with my apathy. God's happy with my lighthearted service. God is totally happy with, he's really not a priority in my life. God's, God's totally happy that I'm really not that committed and he, he's kind of like this old grandfather in the sky that when we kind of goof up, he just gives us that nuggy and, you know, and goes on. And we've developed a view of God. God doesn't care how I live. God doesn't care about the choices I make. And even if I make choices that are poor or that are wrong, he should still bless my life. 
And the problem with us a lot of times is the reason that we have problems with worship, we really don't know who God is. We really and truly do not have a right view of who God is, and we don't have a right view of who we are. Because, listen, the danger is when you create God in your image, you'll worship yourself. That's why you can't worship him if you don't really know who he is. Because really and truly you worship yourself. It's about you and your desires and your dreams and your hopes and your plans. And in some respects, if you're not careful, you place yourself over scripture and over him. And so this morning we're going to read... We're going to read a good amount of scripture together and we're going to look at this issue of a right view of God and when they came back to him in Nehemiah they understood who he was and they understood this word that we look at as negative but it's very positive in scripture so hang with me repentance is a positive word our culture would tell you repentance is a negative word And that would be true if you worship yourself. Repentance is simply this. I'm turning back to God. I'm turning back to God. Where there's peace, where there's forgiveness, where there's protection, where there's love. This issue of repentance is what they, because scripture tells us it's the goodness of God, right? It's the goodness of God that leads to what? To repentance. It's understanding. It's a right view of who God is. See, when you have a right view of who God is, you'll run to him. And you understand. You'll worship him. And repentance is such a positive word. So look, Nehemiah chapter 9. Let's just start walking through this together. Verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and, and, and with earth on their heads. That means they're in total confession, their brokenness before him. They're, it's the picture of mourning. It's the picture of sorrow. It's the picture of confession. And so all of this is going on. And remember, they realized that when they walked away from God, when they wandered from God, there were some things that God had asked them to do that they quit doing. And so Nehemiah, when they rebuilt the wall, he got Ezra, their pastor, the priest to come in. They open up the five books of the, the book of the law, first five books of your Bible. They begin reading through that. And they realize, you know what? There's some things in church that we're, that we're supposed to do that we're no longer doing. And they begin putting those things into practice and putting those in things into place. One of them was worship. And we, we've looked at that. We're going to look at that again today. Next week, let me tell you, don't miss it. We're going to look at the issue of rest. Do you realize God desires for you to rest? How many of you here this morning would just say, you know what, I'm totally exhausted. I'm totally burnt out. I'm totally tired. Have you ever thought, have you ever realized God created you to rest? Man, it is my dream for you that you can have such a right view of God that you can actually lay your head down on the pillow at the end of the day and say God was pleased with me today and when you have a right view of God you can come to that place in your life and this group of people are coming back to him verse 2 and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities and their thought of their fathers so old covenant new covenant stuff just so we're, we're clear Old Covenant, 
you confessed your sins to a priest. Okay? New covenant, we no longer do that. We no longer have to do that. We're no longer required to do that. That's old covenant theology. New covenant theology is this. I only confess my sins to God and to the person I sinned against. New covenant theology. So that's why you see a little bit of difference here. We want to make sure that we're clear. And so they stood up in their place and they read from what? They read from the word, the book of the law. You ever visited a church and you just want to say, just bring out the word. Great skit, great, great drama, great secular song. Just give us the word. Just speak to us. They brought out the book of the law, their God, for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and we worshiped the Lord, their God. Worship is understanding first who God is and how you relate to him. Verse 4, we'll pick up kind of at the end. And they crowd out with a loud voice to the Lord, their God. They're in full-blown worship of him. Verse 6, then the Levites, and then they list out the praise team, okay? Said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. He is the everlasting God. He has no beginning and he has no end. And you stand up and you worship the everlasting God. Blessed be, be, be your glorious name, which is exalted above what? Above all. Above all. Because I am surrendered to Him. He is over all, above all blessing and praise. Watch this. You are the Lord. You alone. You alone are Lord. You're above all. You're above everything. You're the only God. You have made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. Watch this. And you have preserved all of them. God, you just didn't create this world and wind it up like a clock and hands off and just who knows what happens. God, you're still involved in creation. You know that, right? God's still involved in creation. God's still involved in your life. God's still involved and has plans for your life. With all their hosts, and you preserved all of them, the host of heaven, watch this, worships you. There's ongoing repentance in the believer's life, not for salvation, but for right relationship to God. There is a need, there's a requirement for ongoing repentance. What is repentance? It is turning back to a loving God, an everlasting God that has no beginning and no end. Do you have a hunger to know God personally? regardless of where you are in your spiritual life. The Apostle Paul, he started more churches than anybody else, wrote the majority of words in the New Testament, had a phenomenal ministry. I mean, unbelievable ministry. On his deathbed in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says, send Timothy and tell Timothy, bring my commentaries 
and the Word. He's still studying Scripture as he's dying. He still wants to know him more personally. Not one of us ever arrives in life. And listen, let me tell you. The moment you and I quit growing and learning in him is the moment we quit worshiping him. The depth of our worship is understanding who he is. And they understood, God, you're the everlasting God. You have no beginning and no end. And can I just tell you this? In your crisis of life, you better know he's the everlasting God. You better know he has no beginning and no end. You better know that he was there before the crisis. He's going to be there in the crisis. And guess what? Regardless of how the crisis turns out, he'll still be there. Because he is an everlasting God. Nehemiah understood this. When God called Nehemiah to rebuild the wall, two guys had failed before him. 141 years they'd been trying to rebuild the wall. Some great guys tried to build it before him. Couldn't do it. God calls Nehemiah. Nehemiah understood, God, you and you alone are God. You're above all. You're the everlasting God. You were here before the crisis, in the crisis. You'll be here after the crisis. And Nehemiah immediately knew he was inadequate. And he pulled to God because he knew that God is the everlasting God. Listen, you better know in crisis what's in a hospital room, what's in a hospital waiting room, whether it's in a funeral home, whether it's at a funeral, whether it's when the doctor's report does not come back good, whether there's a relational issue, whether there's a phone call that you got that you never dreamed that you'd ever get. When your spouse looks at you in the eyes and tells you something that you never dreamed that they would tell you, that they have done, you better know that God is an everlasting God. No beginning and no end. You better know that he alone, he alone is Lord. And when we know that, it makes it easier to surrender to him. We live in a culture and we live in a time that is continually sending such false beliefs and false messages to people that say things like, doesn't matter who you worship. It doesn't matter what God you choose. Everybody goes to heaven. I mean, it just doesn't, it just doesn't matter. I mean, as long as you're good and, oh, guess what? They're the ones that determine who's good, right? I mean, as long as, you know, I think this person gets to go because they're good, and I think you will come up with that as long as you worship yourself and don't understand that he's the everlasting God. Those same people will tell you all religions are the same. Let me just tell you this. That's not only intellectually false. That's lazy. Anybody that tells you all religions are the same have never read about all the religions. They are not the same. They are not even close to being the same. Fact is, there's a lot of contradictions, and there's people that will tell you it doesn't really matter. It's kind of like this. God is up on this mountain, and we're going to see this in Nehemiah coming up, but I just cannot wait to tell you <laughs> that, that God is like on this mountain 
and we're all going up different paths. Doesn't matter which trail. You can go off trail. You can blaze your own trail. You can go on a trail that someone else is going. Doesn't really matter. As long as you're sincere, as long as you're good, and eventually you get to God. That's not Christianity. Christianity is this. God came down off the mountain to meet you. He got off the mountain. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. God was not a man who became God. God was not an angel who became God. God is God. And he is everlasting. And he has no beginning. And he has no end. And he's the one. He's the one that sustains us. You see, if you and I don't understand that, we'll never engage in worship. Because what's... He's no more special than another one. Not these guys. Karen and I watched the deadliest catch, and this season's been emotional with Captain Phil Harris, who tragic death and after a fight with his son and stroke. And we watched after the catch, and they're all sitting around drinking beer and talking about Captain Phil's life and. And they're all talking and saying, you know what, he's in heaven. Never went to church. Never said anything about God. He's there because he's a good person. Because we judge that he's good. They understood the general revelation of God. Because all of creation testifies about God. They're standing on the deck of the ship or the boat and a man looks into the ca camera one of the deckhands and says anybody that doesn't believe in God bring them to the Bering Sea and they're, they're in the middle of this huge storm and he points to waves rolling and he says there's evidence of God right there that's the general revelation of God that you can look in creation and know this didn't happen by accident something, someone the specific, the special revelation of God, personal, when he reveals himself to you and you accept him. Scripture says that he will sustain you. What sustains you in a crisis and how's it working? Relationships, Addictions, materialism, try to numb the pains, however, activity. What will sustain you? And when you and I understand that He is the one that sustains us, He preserves them all. Casual worship is not an option. They remember, as they develop their right view of God, how faithful God had been to them. Now watch this, in their rebellion. When they had turned their backs on God, he didn't turn his back on them. When they rebelled against them, he didn't forsake them. 
and they start remembering, and we don't have time, we need to move on, but 7 through 12, let me just give you some attributes of God that are circled and highlighted in my Bible. It's things like He saves, He encourages, He hears, He delivers, He guides, He meets, He teaches, He protects, He feeds, He forgives, He loves, He sustains, He clothes, He empowers, He multiplies, He prospers, He corrects, He rescues, and I am so thankful that He is patient. Watch this, verse 13. And you came down on Mount Sinai. God does not stay on the mountain, and he did not stay on the mountain. Religion is this, doing the best I can to get to God. Christianity is this, is him getting to me. And me entering into a relationship with him. And spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws. Good statutes and commandments. Did you get that? Good statutes. When you have a right view of God, you realize that God wants good for you. And he wants to bless you. He doesn't want to take away your your fun. He doesn't want to rain on your parade. But he has your best interest at heart. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them uh, commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, our servant. Remember, this is in their rebellion. Verse 15. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. You mean he meets your needs in rebellion? Yes. And brought you water from them, for them out of a rock and for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had promised. That you had promised to give them. God provided for them in the midst of their complaining in the midst of their rebellion. When you have a right view of God, you understand that. Second thing to worship, you not only have to have a right view of God, but you better have a right view of yourself or you'll truly never worship Him. It takes both. It's not just one. Watch this, verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously And stiffen their neck and did not obey your commandments. In other words, we did this and God did this. We were unfaithful to him and he was faithful to us. We rebelled against him and he did not forsake us. We walked away from him. He did not walk away from us. We turned our backs on him. He did not turn our backs on us. Verse 17, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. Are you mindful of the wonders that God performs around you and among you? Do you even give him thanks? If you worship yourself, it's you. Are you mindful of how God has blessed you this day? You may not have all of your wants, but are you thankful so look at this. He did wonders and miracles among them. But they stiffened their neck. It's the picture of someone in rebellion. When someone's in rebellion, they've walked away from God. They can't acknowledge anything about God. Even the good things that happen to them, they will not give credit to God. But they stiffened their neck and they, watch this, and they appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. They chose sin over God. That crushes the heart of a holy and a perfect and a righteous God. 
they went back to their past. I know that doesn't happen today. They went back to a life where they were abused, where they were enslaved, to where they were beaten, where their children were taken from them. They chose that over God? But you, you're a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not. You did not forsake them. This morning, if you have never come to the place to accept him, and to surrender your life to him and ask him to come into your life, he is waiting to forgive you this day. He is waiting to receive you. Verse 18. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. So they're making idols. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. I am so thankful that God did not forsake me in the wilderness. When I turned my back on him, when I chose a different path, You may be in a wilderness this morning where it's a health issue, relationships, the economy. You may have walked away from him this morning. Can I just tell you, he does not forsake you. The pillar of cloud led them in the way, did not depart from them by day. Can you imagine that? He still tried to lead them. He still tried to instruct them. Nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. A loving father, even in the midst of their rebellion in the wilderness, kept trying to instruct them the way that they should go. Verse 20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Can you believe this? And did not withhold your manna from their mouth. I still met their needs. And gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, in their rebellion. And, well, I hope you write in your Bibles. This is underlined in mine. And they lack nothing. Arrogance in rebellion in the wilderness is when someone says, 
because I lack nothing, because my needs are being met, God is totally happy with me. Their clothes did not wear out. And their feet did not swell. A few verses, three verses, it talks about how God blessed them. And then watch this. Even after God blessed them, verse 26 will pick up. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against you, and cast your law. Cast your law behind their back. No longer read your word. No longer had priority in their life. It sat on the nightstand, sat on a coffee table. I no longer cared that it was a holy word of God. And not only that, they killed the pastors, your prophets. Who had warned them in order to turn back to you where there's safety and where there's security and where there's love. And they committed great blasphemies. This group of people had wandered from God and they came back to him. They began reading his word and it's, it's deeper than that. They digested his word. If you go to a restaurant, I don't care how great the restaurant is, I don't care how much food you can get there. I don't care how cheap the restaurant is. If all you do is read from the menu, it will never fill you up. There comes a point where you have to digest it. The same is true with his word. It's deeper than just reading it. That's good. That starts. But when you digest it, just like Stephanie did this morning in a life journaling moment, and she digested it and she had applied it directly to her life. Verse 27, therefore, you gave them into the hands of your enemies who made them suffer. There's consequence. It's God's loving way of saying you are on the wrong word road. This is not working out for you. The potholes and the boulders that are in the path and the, the, the construction ahead signs and all this other stuff. It's his way of bringing us back to him. And in the time of their suffering, watch this, they cried out to you. You, you it's that type of person that the world is crashing in around them. And they cry out to him. And guess what? And you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the land and the hand of their enemies. So they're in crisis. They cry out to them. He answers their prayers. Watch this, verse 28. But after they had rest, when God answered that prayer... When God took away the potholes and when God took away the boulders and when God rep repaired the bridges in their life, when God took care of them, when they were at peace and things were working out well for them, they did evil again. And they abandoned, and you have abandoned them into the hand of their enemies. Here comes consequences so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and many times, not just once, but many times you delivered them because you're a loving and good and gracious and forgiving God. It wasn't just once. When you look into the language of this, it was multiple times, so many times that it could not be counted. And you delivered them according to your mercies 
and you warned them in order to turn back to, to your law, repentance. Yet, they acted presumptuously and they did not obey your commandments but sinned against your rules which is if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a, a stubborn shoulder and a stiff neck, stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years, many years you bore with them and you kept warning them through pastors, through friends, through moms and dads and through other believers, by your spirit, through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. You ever talk to someone in their rebellion? And it's so obvious to you. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. And as they looked at the word and they looked at the, the, the history of the Israelites, they were amazed about how good God had been. They understood that even in their rebellion, to worship him, you've got to have a right view of him. And you've got to have a right view of yourself. And they understood that we did this, but you did this. We rebelled. We turned our back to you. We did the crisis prayers and you come in and you do a miracle and then we go back to our old way of life. That God has not only declared us forgiven, but he's declared us righteous. And he's not only declared us righteous, but he has accepted us. And the reason we repent and turn back to him is when we understand how good God is. Sin is turning your back on God. I'll do it my way. That's all it is. Verse 31, Nevertheless, in your great mercies you did not make an end to them. You did not kill them. Or forsake them. For you are a graceful and a merciful God to worship Him, right view of Him. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, and then they just go in, and there's a time of confession, and you can read that later. Confession happens when you take personal responsibility for your sin. You don't blame. You don't justify. You say, it was me. And when they cry out to God, they confess their sins. And this morning, I just got to tell you, you will make no spiritual progress in your life to confess you surrender it's not just reading the menu there comes the point you've got to eat and you've got to digest it an honest heart a surrendered heart knows that I want to be right with God verse 38 because of all this here's repentance we looked at confession Here's repentance. 
Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Confession, in some respects, is a backward look. Repentance is a forward look. Because of what we've confessed, because of the commitments we've made, this is how we'll live in the future. Listen, repentance is incomplete without a changed life. And you've got to be real about that this morning. Confession is this, that I'm headed on the wrong path and there's potholes and there's boulders and there's accidents and I'm leaving a wake of bodies in my path and there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain. And confession is to get off the road and say, God, I'm sorry and confess, but to get back on the same road and keep walking the way you've been walking. Confession with repentance God, I'm sick and tired of the potholes, the boulders, the rocks, the car accidents, the bodies. I confess. I get off the road. And I look forward. And I'm going to walk on this road. And I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to turn back to you. And I'm going to follow you. It's not perfection. But it's the direction that you are going. I know this is a heavy message. And I am burdened for some of you this morning that you have been struggling with some decisions. Some of you this morning, you need to accept him. You need to ask him to come into your life, ask you for the forgiveness of your sin so that you know you have the guarantee of eternal life and that you can start walking with him and not only read the word, but you can digest the word. Some of you here this morning, you're believers. You know you're on the wrong road. You know you're on the wrong path. How long are you going to stay in the wilderness this morning? Are you willing to confess and repent?